Welcome to TWW, The Weekly Wheel, where each week the Dharma Wheel rolls and delivers you new content available anywhere at any time in your everyday life. We present a mindfulness service, which has three components. First, meditation. And then we meditate with sound through chanting. You can have your mind wander when you sit in silence, but it's very difficult to wander as you chant. You need to focus on the next character, on your breathing, on the next line. And if you pat yourself on the back too much or become too self-aware, you'll miss a line. And then lastly, we have something called active listening, where we lean into and really listen to the Dharma talk given by our senseis. You could think of silent meditation and sound meditation through chanting as preparatory to get our minds focused and open and clear so we can really listen clearly and really take in the Dharma. And in a sense, it perfumes the mind. The mind is slowly changed as it hears new points of view, new perspectives, and new approaches to dealing with life. It's set up much like an in-person service. It's led, moderated by multiple voices. So you get a variety of opinions, a variety of, of perspectives as you go on your journey. So I hope you will join us now for this mindfulness service presented to you by the people at The Weekly Wheel and the Orange County Buddhist Church. Thank you so much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, it's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward, without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply, let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world, waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. Return to your seat or cushion. Sitting in this way, we might wonder what purpose we are achieving. Actually, there is no specific purpose. I think it's really to make us aware of what sitting is, what breathing is, standing is. What are these simple activities that we do most of the time without thinking about them at all? We'll begin our second sitting at the bell.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters. And each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character. And it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. We will now chant Ju Gay. Yeah. 
Beware of the second arrow. We often hear that the Buddha taught an end to suffering, but this is not 100% accurate. In fact, it isn't even half right. It's only a third right because there are three types of suffering. First, there is the suffering of physical pain, like kicking your foot into a doorframe without shoes on. Number two is suffering of a loss. And number three is suffering due to the dissatisfaction of life. A badly sprained ankle is an example of the suffering of physical pain. A sprain is very painful, and Buddhism cannot really help much here. It hurts, and it should hurt. About 10 years ago, I was getting ready for our Sunday morning mindfulness service, and I slammed my thumb in one of the drawers in our office. It was a heavy wooden drawer on rollers with a lot of inertia and momentum. In that instant, my Buddhist practice went on pause as I yelled out in pain. I also blamed myself for not being more mindful. The grief of losing a loved one or a close friend is an example of suffering a loss. One Sunday, a woman at OCBC told me that her dog had just died. She was so overwhelmed with grief, which is understandable. She said that she would never own another dog again because it was just so painful. It is just too hard because dogs have lifespans that are so much shorter than our own. These two examples above also illustrate the suffering that is due to the dissatisfaction of life. This is where we add another level of suffering. My thumb hurt badly, but it was an accident, not something I intended to do. Sometimes things like this just happen. It was not my fault. I am not to blame. Dogs also pass away before we do. They are on a different clock than we are. I wish it wasn't so, but we need to accept it. The grief we feel is actually a wonderful gift. It is due to the intimacy we are able to experience with another being. This dissatisfaction with life is the suffering that the Buddha is speaking of when we see the word suffering in the Buddhist teachings. This is called the second arrow. The following is from an essay on guilt and Buddhism. The Buddha taught that when we experience something painful, a physical illness, or the news that some loved one has passed, or witnessing suffering all around us, it's as if the world has shot an arrow into us, and it hurts. That pain is totally normal, and it's fine to acknowledge it. In fact, it's good to acknowledge it, to let ourselves simply be with the experience of the pain. But often what we do, then, is shoot a second arrow into ourselves. The second arrow is any thought we use to spin up a story around our pain as a way of resisting simply being with the experience of that original pain. This can manifest in many different ways. The Buddha teaches that there's another way. The well-instructed disciplines of the noble ones, when touched with a feeling of pain, do not sorrow, grieve, or lament. Do not beat their breasts or become distraught. So they feel just one pain, physical, but not mental. Just as if they were to shoot someone with an arrow and right afterward did not shoot them with another arrow so that they would only feel the pain of the first arrow. As they are touched by that painful feeling, they are not resistant. It is this second self-inflicted pain that we need to be mindful of. This is the focus of Buddhism. In life, 
Suffering is inevitable, but the additional pain of the second arrow is optional. We can even say that Buddhism is a way of life that relieves the suffering of people whose hopes are not fulfilled. Thank you very much, Inga Sho, Reverend John Turner. Namo Amidabuts. Namo Amidabuts. Namo Amidabuts. Namo Amidabuts. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This podcast is copyrighted 2023 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, all rights reserved.